Well, good evening, everybody. Hey, well, my name is Joel, and uh, it's good to be with you guys. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really, really excited uh, for tonight because uh, tonight we are stepping into a, a passage in the book of Philippians um, that is just so rich and so full and so powerful. Uh, if we can lay a hold of what uh, God has given us in his word, as Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, I think it will call us into a place, um, man, that we could live for the rest of our lives and for all of eternity, and uh, we'd, be go- we'd be okay, we'd be good. Um, and so tonight, um, we're back in the book of Philippians. This is one of my favorite passages um, in, in all of Scripture uh, tonight, so I'm super excited uh, to open this up together. Um, you know, the book of Philippians is this incredible letter that Paul wrote uh, 2,000 years ago uh, to a church in a city called Philippi. And uh, it's very important for us to understand kind of what Philippi was all about um, so that we can kind of grasp where Paul is uh, uh, bringing some of his uh, encouragements to this church as he's writing this letter. Philippi Uh, was a city, it was a Roman colony that was founded by Rome. Uh, It was a bit of a baby Rome. Um, It had kind of all of the things that Rome had, but just on a smaller scale. Uh, This was a very Roman city for Roman citizens, for people who were extremely loyal uh, to Rome. So many people who had either military or political careers um, were retiring in Philippi after a long service to Rome. They were given plots of land and the ability to just kind of uh, kick back and enjoy the good life um, because Rome, uh, if you were loyal to them, it could be very lucrative uh, and Rome could promise and give a lot of material wealth. And so Philippi was a city that was founded uh, just as kind of like a retirement community for people who uh, had had a, a very uh, faithful and loyal career with Rome, whether that be in military or political service. Uh, it was just an easy life uh, to be able to live in Philippi if you were in that Roman uh, system. These are people who they climbed the ladder uh, of their their current cultural like climate. That whatever uh, Rome was saying, hey, this is what you should do. These people did that, uh, and they were at the end. Many of them were at the end of their lives, saying, "Okay, I've I've climbed this ladder. I've peaked to the top of the ladder, and now I'm going to enjoy the fruits." Uh, of my accomplishments. Last week, Danny talked about that a little bit. And, and Paul uh, gives us basically his ladder that he had climbed in his cultural context as he's writing to these Roman uh, uh, people in Philippi uh, who had become Christians, who had seen Jesus for who he is and recognized him as Lord and recognized that, oh man, if Jesus is Lord, then that means Caesar is not Lord. And if Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not Lord, this life that I've built for myself and I've landed here in Philippi at the end of my life, at the end of the the ladder, the top of the ladder, I was here planning to kind of just enjoy the rest of my years and and, and live out uh, my retirement uh, in comfort and inconvenience. Now I've met Jesus, this new Lord, who's calling me into all these new things, living on mission, risking my life for the sake of the gospel. What does that look like now? And Paul is writing to this church saying, listen, I want you to know something about my life. I can relate. 
And so Paul gives his, his resume of his life before meeting Jesus. And uh, from a Jewish perspective, which is not the same as a Roman perspective, Paul had reached the top of the ladder. Uh, from a religious perspective, Paul had everything you could imagine. Uh, he was uh, born in the right family. He was born in the right tribe. He was uh, uh, educated in the right ways under a famous Pharisee, Gamaliel, someone who uh, even Roman historians talked about him. He was that well-known and widely known as a rabbi in Judaism, as a Pharisee. And Paul became this Pharisee, someone who was, uh, and a Pharisee, if you kind of are, are coming to the Bible, you're a bit new to uh, who these people are. These were the people who had the most strict observance of God's law, the most strict observance of the, the Torah, the first five books of the law, the Old Testament law. And these were people who were full of piety that lived uh, with, with strict adherence to every word, every, uh, as, as they would say, jot or tittle that was written down in God's word. They adhered to that as perfectly as humanly possible. And Paul, in his, uh, his resume, he's saying, listen, I've done it all. As a Pharisee, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And I had so much zeal for God when this Jesus of Nazareth came along, this itinerant rabbi who didn't get well-educated, who we didn't know about. And he had all of these strange teachings that were turning everything we were teaching as Pharisees on its head. And then he ends up dying on the cross and his followers are claiming they saw him resurrected from the dead. I was so zealous for God, Paul says, that I even persecuted the church. But then something happened. I met Jesus face to face. And as a result, everything that I had formally counted as gain as accomplishment, as the top of the ladder, as the, the filling out of the resume, everything that I had considered gain, I now consider it as loss. So he's talking to these people who had filled out their resume. They got into a place in life where they're now in this city called Philippi that Rome has kind of set up as a reward for faithful service. And Paul is saying, I know that following Jesus may and probably will cost you maybe everything, but I want you to know it's worth it. It's worth it. And so after Paul giving his resume, he says, everything that I, I counted gain, I count now as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that's kind of where we launch into tonight. And I don't know where you're kind of coming from in your life, your life story. What's brought you here to Orlando, Florida? Uh, why uh, you have chosen to live in this city? How many of you guys are actually from central Florida, born here, raised here, grew up here? Yes. About one, one, 1%, 2% of us. Yes. Yeah. My wife was born and raised here in, in Orlando. I was born in Indiana, but moved here when I was nine months old, got here as soon as I could. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm a, I consider myself a Floridian, but most of us come from somewhere else and we've landed here and maybe how many of you guys, Disney had a part of that story anybody, anyone here? Okay. Yes. So it's familiar. And you know, when people kind of start their journey towards Disney, I know not all of us are cast members. I've never been a cast member. My dad was a cast member. My brother was a cast member. Um, I'm pretty sure one of our dogs uh, at some point worked uh, for the mouse. But 
I was never a cast member, but, but so many of us, I mean, we, we kind of think about this Disney journey and what the, the Disney experience is. And everybody starts with traditions, right? And, and you kind of get uh, that experience, right? But then from there, everybody takes their own path. And some people's path lasts a very short amount of time. And some people's path uh, lasts a lifetime. And you hear these stories of like, uh, the person who started out as a face character, Cinderella, and she ends up with a whole career of first Cinderella. And we all know that one has a shelf life, right? You can't, can't be friends with Cinderella for forever, right? Um, but then, you know, she starts training face characters and then ends up as fairy godmother and, and, and retires at the end. And you're like, wow, what a career. That's a wild career. Or you hear about the guy who starts in attractions and he's buckling seatbelts. And then one day he's like a C-level executive. And you're like, holy smokes, you kind of did the thing. Like you achieved the thing that we're trying to achieve, or some of us are trying to achieve at Disney. Some of us are here and you're like, you know, my next career step might be a two weeks notice. You know, that might be the best next career step for me at Disney, right? So we all have kind of a different perspective, different experiences, different aspirations, different goals. And some of you guys are like, this is a good idea. My pastor said a two weeks notice <laughs> was kind of the next step in my career. So I'm taking that as a word from the Lord. Actually, please do not do that. Okay. That's just an example, right? But, but the, the ladder of success, the, the, the pathway to su success within Walt Disney Company or any corporation is carved out for people who are stepping into that world. And, and you've got to do certain things to get to that. And when you do those certain things and you get those promotions and you get those opportunities and you get new, new things to do and more pay increases and better health benefits and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As you move forward in life, those things are harder and harder and harder and harder to let go of, right? And, and Paul is saying, listen, I got to the end of the ladder. I got to the end of the career. Whatever the end is for you, I got there for me. And he's telling the church in Philippi, I realized at a certain point that none of that truly mattered in comparison to knowing Jesus. And so he's telling these Christians in Philippi in this Roman city, he's saying, listen, I know many of you maybe have gotten to the end of the ladder and you're asking yourself, is Jesus worth the risk that I might have to give it all up to continue following after him? And what Paul is saying in, in our text tonight is a resounding, yes, it is worth everything to follow Jesus. So let's go there together. We're in Philippians uh, tonight, chapter three. And uh, last week, Danny left off at verse seven. And we're gonna pick up there tonight. And we're gonna walk uh, through verse 11 this evening together. And Paul is saying, I had the resume. I finished, uh, got to the top of the ladder and then something happened and it changed everything. Verse seven, he said, but whatever gain I had in my former life as a Pharisee, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He, he, he got to a point in his life where he looked at his successes, his resume, everything he had built up. And he said, compared to Jesus, all of that gain is loss. And he goes on. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? He's, he's giving us the why behind why 
all of that gain, all of that upbringing, all of that, that work, the hard work to get to the ladder of success, to climb up the ladder of success, to peer over the top of the ladder and see what was on the other side. He says, I counted everything as lost. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says there, there is success. There's worldly success. There are things that we can achieve on this planet. And those things may be just fine. <laughs> there may be nothing wrong with those things. But when I evaluate the worth of those successes, when I look at the successes and I evaluate them and I ask the question, what is this worth? and I compare that worth to the greatness of knowing Jesus, I recognize that the greatness of knowing Jesus far surpasses the worth of anything this life and my successes in this life have any potential to offer me. He says, it's all loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, for Paul, this is not theory. For Paul, this is not like a, what if I might lose? What if I might have to lose? For Paul, He has experienced this loss. Let's think about his life for just a moment. Let's think about who he is, who he was for just a moment. Right now, as Paul is writing, he is writing from house arrest or a prison cell in Rome, awaiting trial to meet Caesar and not just any Caesar, but Nero. And if you know anything about Roman history, he's the worst of the worst. He was horrific in his persecution of Christians. He was uh, such a bad emperor that even the Roman people themselves ascribed damnation to him when he finally left. This guy killed his own mother. He was not a good man, not a good dude. So the people of Rome even tried to forget him when he died. It's pretty amazing. And Paul is getting ready to stand trial in front of Nero. And he's saying, I've suffered the loss of all things compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. It's nothing. In fact, it is rubbish. Now, if you dig into the Greek of this word rubbish, okay, the the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, It is a very uh, beautiful, expansive language. Uh, Every single word in Greek can mean one or more words in English. Bible translation is a very important thing. And I'm so grateful for the hard work that Bible translators do. And in this one, they've kind of given us an idea of what Paul is saying when they say rubbish, right? Rubbish is the the, kind of the garbage, right? It's not just like just trash. Like I'm going to throw maybe a piece of paper away and you say, Joel, you should recycle. And I say, yes, I agree. Right. We should recycle, but that's, that's trash, right? Rubbish is a little dirtier than trash. It's a little grosser than trash, but rubbish is one of the ways that this Greek word can be translated, but it can actually be a little bit more vivid than that. 
um, as you think about trash and the types of trash there are, I'm a chicken farmer, so we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of kind of, you look at me like, you don't look like a farmer, and that's true. It's awkward. Everything about it, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but, but we've got poop all over the place, and, and we have to scoop that poop up and throw it uh, into a compost pile, and that pile turns into, uh, you know, fertilizer for plants that we plant. What, what this word rubbish is giving us is not just the kind of clean trash, not just the dirty trash, but the kind of trash that like really more resembles like excrement and filth and grime and dirt and just it's rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish. And what Paul is saying is compared, when I compare what I had in my former life before knowing Jesus to the life that I have in knowing Jesus, it really is just a heaping pile of dung and rubbish and disgusting filth in comparison to the beauty and glory and splendor of knowing Jesus. And so Paul is trying to use this juxtaposition for us to understand that like anything you can imagine your former life being compared to knowing Jesus, it's worse than you can imagine. And any good that you can imagine in what it means to know Jesus, it is better than you imagine. And that is what Paul is trying to help us to understand. And Paul is saying this from experience because he reached the apex of religion. He reached the apex of of what he could have experienced from a Jewish perspective before he met Jesus. And then something happened and it changed everything. What happened? Well, scripture tells us in Acts chapter nine, tells us his conversion story, the story of him on his way uh, to Damascus. And anybody know what he was doing on his way to Damascus as he's on that road to Damascus? What's he doing there? Go, go ahead. He's arresting Christians. He's persecuting Christians. Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus before his name was Paul. Saul of Tarsus was a part of the very first Christian martyrdom that ever took place. Stephen was stoned to death and Paul oversaw his being stoned. And, and so this person was a persecutor of the church, completely vehemently opposed to Christianity. And on his way to Damascus, Jesus stops him on the road. He falls to his face and says, who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And that is a moment, right? That's a moment to have like, oh, I have done something very wrong with my life, right? And Paul in that moment recognized that the trajectory that his ladder had taken him was not a trajectory he wanted to end up where his religious zeal and his desire uh, to, to be right had taken him to a place where he was actually fighting against God himself. And he recognized Jesus actually is Lord. He is actually the Messiah, the resurrected savior, the one that, that we can put our trust in for salvation. And Paul recognized this And it changed everything. It changed everything. So much so that he would look at his former life and say, compared to knowing Jesus, everything I ever achieved is absolute rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. If we look back at his his resume, 
the way that he lived his life, his former life as a, a Jewish person who was a, a part of a certain nation that was apart from the rest of the nations in the world, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He was a part of a very select tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. He studied. <coughs> I better get water. <coughs> How many of you guys feel awkward for me right now? (laughs) I have a three-year-old and a nine-month-old. And they circulate colds through my house. You know? And I'm right there. Okay. So Paul is bringing us to this recognition and realization of his former life and the life that we have in Christ, this opportunity that we have to live for Jesus. He's comparing these two things and he's saying, there is absolutely no comparison because following Jesus is everything. When we are found in him, the the resumes that we find ourselves in from before our experience with Jesus and knowing Jesus, those resumes are nothing in comparison. And so Paul is saying, I want to live my life where if you ask me, hey, what is your accomplishment? What am I going to point to? Not myself, but Jesus. He's saying, I, I want to be found in him. That, that when God looks at me and he says, oh, let me look at Saul of Tarsus. Let me look at, at Paul. Who do I see? That God sees Jesus. That you and I, when we look at our lives and we're trying to follow Jesus and we struggle and sometimes we stumble and sometimes we fall and sometimes we fail. When we recognize that our lives are not found in our own accomplishments, our lives are not found in our own achievements, but they're found in knowing Jesus. And Paul says, I desire to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, my adherence to the law, my ability to follow the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and that depends on faith. See, Paul in his former life, he was depending on his own righteousness. He was depending on his own resume. He was depending on his own achievements. Now, I don't know about you. Paul had a resume that had a lot of successes that he depended on. And he recognized that those didn't lead him in the direction that his life wanted to go. I don't know about you, but my resume looks a whole lot more like I failed here. I failed here. I failed here. I failed here. Can anybody relate more to that? Rather than the, oh, I've succeeded. I've done great. No, no, for me, you know, if you think about the typical American dream and the idea of like going to the prestigious preschool, right? And going to a great you know, uh, primary school and then getting into a, an Ivy League school and having a great career. It's like, yeah, uh, <clears throat> I struggled to get through, uh, you know, college algebra. I took it several times in my community college. Like, it's like, I don't have this pedigree, this resume. I have a lot of failure in my world, both like in real life, but also in, in just like the way that I've lived my life. I think about the ways that I've sinned against God, the ways that I've sinned against people, the ways that I've failed, the things that I've done that I'm ashamed of. And if I were to, to put my trust in my own righteousness that comes by being perfectly obedient, I'd be hopeless. And I don't know if any of you can relate more to that, but that's my story. And Paul is saying, I don't want to be found 
with a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith, not depends on works, not depends on resume, but depends on faith. It turns his attention in verse 10. And I think this is just the most, so, it's just so beautiful. And there's so much here. He says that, that I may know him, Jesus, and, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like in, him in his death. And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I mean, this is Paul's prayer. In verse 10, he's saying that this is, this is my new desire. This is the new top of the ladder for me. That, that the old top of the ladder was all of these successes and everything that depended on me. But, but the new top of the ladder for me, for Paul, is that I just may know him. Like, I just really want to know Jesus. And this is the Apostle Paul writing, right? And when we think about his resume after Christ, it's impressive. And, and he's not pointing to any of that. Notice he doesn't say, I want to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I want to plant tons of churches. I want to write two thirds of the New Testament. Did he do all of those things? Yeah, he did. He's Paul. This is why we, we look at him as a hero of the faith. And he absolutely is. But what does he say here? I don't, want, I don't want a righteousness that depends on me. I want to be found in Jesus and that I may know him and the power of his resurrection life and the fellowship that comes with sharing in his sufferings. When I, when I first read that, it blew my mind that, that Paul would point to sufferings and recognize that there is a fellowship that is to be had with Jesus when he shares in sufferings. When you think about Saul's conversion in Acts chapter nine, in fact, maybe we can go there together real quick. Why don't you turn real quick to Acts chapter nine. Paul, we'll go back to Saul. So Saul, he has just seen Jesus face to face. Um, Verse six, Jesus tells him, Hey, rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. So Saul's kind of like, okay, I'm not in control anymore. You're in control. I'll just wait for what's next. Jesus calls this guy Ananias to go to to Saul and minister to him. And Ananias is like, "Um, yeah, Jesus, I'm not sure if you've heard um, about who Saul is, but he's a very bad guy. Are you sure you want me to go to him? Right. And so that's kind of the dialogue that's happening. Joel's paraphrase. And in verse 15, Jesus says, Uh, But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, right? So wouldn't you think if Paul was like gonna rewrite his resume and now that I know Jesus, he'd put verse 15 in there? You know, I was all these things, but now I know Jesus and now I, I'm gonna carry Jesus' name for the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Like that's a new resume, right? But Paul doesn't say that. He says, I consider all of that rubbish compared to one thing, one thing. What is it? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, one accomplishment. That's all I'm in for one. It's knowing Jesus. That's it. And yes, did he carry the gospel to the Gentiles? Absolutely. Did he speak before Kings? 
Yes, he did. In fact, the emperor of Rome, he testified the gospel before the emperor of Rome, as well as other kings and other leaders. The apostle Paul did it all, right? But what did he point to? I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to have the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Because what did Jesus say? Verse 16, he says to Ananias about Saul, he's my chosen instrument for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Saul, as he is converted into Christianity, taken away from his former life and given this new calling, this new life, baked into that was going to be an experience of suffering. And for Paul, instead of looking that at the suffering as loss, what did he look at, 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 at the suffering as? He looked at it as gain. That, that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I'm going to gain fellowship with Jesus as I share his sufferings. You know, a lot of people ask the question, why is it that I feel closer to God in the midst of my darkest moments? In the, in the midst of the hardest things that I walk through in life. Why can't I feel close to God when everything's going great, right? And in some ways, that's the challenge, right? When everything's going great, like that's when you should be pursuing Jesus with everything you got, Right? but it's so easy to forget our need for him. And, and Paul is saying that there is a fellowship that I have with Jesus when I share in his sufferings. That Jesus is the high priest that has gone before us and he suffered on our behalf. That he took on the sins of the people so that we could be forgiven. And he suffered under the wrath of God. He suffered at the hands of sinful men for you and for me. Jesus did that for us. But Paul says, now, when I live my life for Jesus, pursuing, knowing Jesus, pursuing, living for Jesus, and I struggle and I suffer in the midst of that, that there is a fellowship that I get with Jesus, where in the moment of my suffering, when I'm on my knees, when I'm struggling, when I don't know if I have what it takes to take the next step. And that's the moment when I lock eyes with my savior who has suffered for me. That there is this fellowship that takes place with us and the God of the universe when we suffer, especially when we suffer as a Christian for our faith. Man, what a beautiful invitation that is. And Paul is saying in the midst of a Roman prison cell, and we're here in Orlando, Florida, and it's pretty comfortable right here, right now but that may not be the case forever. We may not always be right here in this space, in this level of comfort with our faith forever. There may come a day where becoming a Christian, as it becomes less and less and less popular and more culturally unpopular and more resisted by our culture, that there may come a day where there is legitimate physical loss that comes with the, the, the knowing of Jesus and the pursuit of Jesus and the declaring of who he is to others. And it's this recognition that comes into our life that everything that we might gain, every privilege, every power, every pleasure, everything that we can have in this life will fail us 
in the long run. And as we look at our life with an eternal perspective, we must realize that Jesus is what matters more than anything else anyway. David said, teach me, oh God, and number my days that my life is like a vapor of smoke. That in comparison to eternity, this life goes by like that. And Paul is reaching out to us through scripture, through his letter to the Philippians. And he's saying, church, Mosaic in Orlando, Florida, do not be deceived. Whatever your resume looks like, it will fail you. Whatever this culture can offer you, it will ultimately fail you. There is nothing in this life that is worth anything compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, your Lord. But just so you know, you may lose a little bit or a lot in this life in the process and in the pursuit of gaining Christ, but it is worth everything. What did Jesus say? What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? This rich young ruler, he's having this interaction with, and and the rich young ruler says, what do I got to do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing his heart, he said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away. He went away sad. Why? Scripture tells us because his possessions were great. And here we are. And for us, all of us, the things we cling to, the things we hold on to, our possessions, whatever we have, whether it's our hopes, our dreams, our talent, our career, our relationships, our aspirations, what we want to do, whatever it is that we hold on to, Paul would scream out to us and thank God we've got the scripture to look to today. Paul would say, it is nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, my Lord. And I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying here is that in Christ, when we're found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from ourselves, but only that which comes by faith and through faith in Jesus. So we're not talking about like works, salvation, or attaining anything through our works. What Paul is saying is that when I know Jesus and compare him and the knowledge of him and eternity to what is going on in this life, what I gain in that, losing all of the other stuff, what I gain is a recognition of who Jesus is in this life. And it is like a resurrection from the dead because I am recognizing that this life is nothing compared to the eternal life that I will have with Jesus. And what Paul is saying is that in comparison to knowing Jesus, all of this is such rubbish that it is as if I'm already experiencing the resurrection life when I view my life through that paradigm. When I recognize Jesus is more important than anything else, it's like I'm living in the new creation already. I'm attaining a resurrection, uh, a resurrection life that I could not attain other than by fixing my eyes on the important, surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And I know it's hard. Man, I, I'm preaching this sermon, coughing through half of it, but it's my last name, Kaufman. I have permission to do it. So 
as I'm preaching through this, I'm even thinking to myself, Joel, are you listening? Are you listening? (laughs) Because when I look at my life and I think about what I do with my every day and where I spend my time and my energy and my affections and I compare it to this, do I... Do I really value knowing Jesus as a surpassing worth? Worth more than anything else that I can pursue? Because if I do, it's gonna change the way that I live. And so it's hard, I get it, I know. There's a lot of things to pursue in this life. There's a lot of things that are dangling in front of us. There's a lot, I mean, this, the, the, the marketing industry in the United States, a multi-billion dollar industry, probably toward the trillions of dollars of, uh, worldwide of trying to capture our attention to buy what the world has to sell. And it's, it's heavy and it's a, it's a pull on all of us. None of us are immune to it. But to take a moment and step back and learn from the apostle Paul and his life and his life example and his invitation to us to recognize that everything that we can try to pursue in this life is rubbish compared to to Jesus. Like when we can stare into that truth together and recognize that truth together, it calls us into a new way of thinking about our lives. It calls us into this eternal perspective. It calls us into this recognition that we, everything we can accomplish is nothing. Everything we can gain is nothing compared to Jesus And over time and through time, Jesus is gonna make us more and more and more like him as we pursue after him. Our desires are going to continue to grow for him over time as we continue to pursue after Jesus. That as we taste and see that he is good and that he is better, that we will desire more and more and more. We need to form a craving for who God is in our lives And they begin to satisfy that craving by spending time with him and by pursuing him and by living for him. And so it's just as much to me a call to recognize the beauty of this passage that if we could live in it, think about this really, really, truly. If we could live in the beauty of this passage, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, how would that change things? How would that change our time? How would that change our our, the way that we use our energy, our talent? How, how would that change uh, the, the way that we fight sin? How, how would that change the way that we interact with other people? How would that change our prayer life? How would that change the way that we study God's word? How would that change the way we come into corporate worship together and worship Jesus? How would that change everything if we recognize that, that knowing him, knowing him is more valuable than anything else? And I hope that tonight, maybe we've moved the needle just a little bit in our recognition that that is true, that there is nothing greater than Jesus. There is nothing better. There is nothing more satisfying than knowing Jesus. And I'm sharing that with my, to my own heart, uh, as much as I hope to be able to share that with your heart tonight. Let's pray together. God, we just, uh, we come before you tonight and we just recognize Uh, the wonderful and beautiful uh, call in this passage. Um, God, I just recognize that I feel uh, somewhat inadequate uh, to even really deliver um, what is in this passage in a way that would be 
uh, compelling, but you know, God, I'm just grateful that I don't need to be the attractive one here. My words don't need to be attractive here because Jesus, you are attractive. Jesus, you are surpassingly glorious and surpassingly great. And so Jesus, help us to desire to know you more than anything else in this life. That we would consider everything else that this life would offer to us as rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you, Jesus. Not just knowing about you, but knowing you deeply and intimately. Our Lord and our Savior who died for us. That as we walk through this life, as we experience the difficulties in this life, as we experience sufferings in this life, that we look at even those as opportunities to know you more. And that we would be a people not found in our own accomplishments or our own efforts, but that we would be found in the accomplishment of Jesus through your life, your sinless life, through your death, your sacrificial death and through your victorious resurrection so that we, by knowing you in this life, would experience the victory of the resurrection in our knowledge of you and in our recognition that you are more valuable than anything else. God, we thank you for this call to know you and to count everything as loss in comparison. Help it be true for us, God. Help it be true for us. Help it be true for me. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.